Are traditional expert calls in the investment world becoming obsolete? According to Stream, they are. And you can access primary research easily and efficiently through their platform. With Stream, you'll have the right insights at your fingertips to make the best investment decisions. They offer a vast library of over 26,000 expert transcripts powered by AI search technology. Plus, they provide competitive rates on expert call services, and you can even have an experienced buy-side analyst conduct the calls for you. But that's not all. Stream also provides the ability to engage with experts one-on-one and get your calls transcribed free of charge, all for 40% less than you would pay for 20 calls in a traditional expert network model. So if you're looking to optimize your research process and increase ROI on investment research spend, Stream has the solution for you. Head over to their website at streamrg.com to learn more. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Hello, and welcome to the Yet Another Value podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Walker. If you like this podcast, it would mean a lot if you could rate, subscribe, review wherever you're watching or listening to it. With me today, I'm happy to have on my friend and Ramsey Capital's founder for his monthly State of the Markets, Chris Demuth. Chris, how's it going? Going well, Andrew. Welcome home and nice to see you. Thanks. I don't know if you heard the hollow, but I was just in Amsterdam for those who don't know. And uh, I loved it over there. I picked up the hollow. My wife laughs at me every time I do it. Chris, we've got a lot to talk about. Before we get there, quick disclaimer, nothing on this podcast is investing advice. That's true for every podcast we do, but particularly true for this one, just because you and I are going to go through a bunch of situations. Who knows where this conversation will take us, but everyone should just remember, please consult a financial advisor. This isn't financial advice. Anyway, Chris, it was, we are talking July 31st, 2023. It was a crazy month. Both of you and I were in Europe. I was telling Alicia, my wife, I was like, it wasn't as relaxing as a trip because I was there during earnings season. And it was just like Activision, Microsoft, potential MAE, Kareem and Simo, like all these things were happening. And I was just like, I just need to, I need to know what's going on. I need to read, I need to research. But what is on your mind for the month of July? It's funny, market inefficiencies tend to be a matter of magnitude and not direction. It's not that common to see something go up by a lot when it should be going down by a lot or vice versa. But our things have had a couple things in the last times away where I was kind of mercifully away or distracted, where something was kind of flailing in one direction and then flailing in the other direction shortly thereafter. And I kind of had the benefit of not having to have or react to hot takes, but at least been, you know, time zone or uh, flight delayed enough to uh, think about it afterwards. SEMA uh, 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 is one of them. Uh, there were a couple others in that, in that category. Um, so I I guess in terms of time, uh, ATVI has taken up most of my time. I listened to every word of the trial, uh, kind of uh, read every, you know, endlessly interested in the uh, antitrust there in the U.S., in the CMA side, in the dynamics between the two regulators, both because I wanted to get that one right and because I wanted to kind of understand the circumstances that affect other future deals and uh, uh, public policy on the antitrust side. Um, So um, I I don't remember where we last uh, left off uh, in Activision. I know we've spoken about it quite a few times. It's tough because we speak so much, speak and email so much offline, but if I remember correctly, you know, the judge, her, the judge's ruling saying no PJI for Activision came after our last podcast. So, you know, right. our last podcast was in this weird state where we said, hey, is the judge going to basically block this DR, allow it? You you were saying, hey, if I remember correctly, you were listening to it. At, at, I know you listened to it, but I think it, we were kind of recording while the trial was still going on. And you were saying, hey, <laughs> the, the, Microsoft is making a really good case here. I don't know how the judge is going to block this deal with every with the smoking guns they revealed, how good their their lawyers and their executives are doing. So since then, the judges come out and said no PJI. The deal it hit the walk date. I want to talk about the walk date for a second because it was interesting. But the deal hit the walk date. 
Activision got a little tiny bump, and basically we're just waiting if UK CMA can get over the finish line, which it seems like the CMA has done a massive 180 and it will get over the finish line. This deal is going to close. Yeah. So actually the only part that I wasn't live was when we recorded, we kind of duped it and I had a, 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 I had to go back for that one hour. Uh, but uh, the, the judge's decision was magnificent. It was interesting. Uh, she didn't miss anything. Um, it was uh, a, a very high quality decision that I thought looked uh, correct, unappealable and interesting in that, um, to the extent you could parse any kind of partisan or uh, ideological uh, uh, theme from her, uh, she's a Democrat appointee in a, a traditionally uh, left-wing area, and the government made no progress. It wasn't a close call. I mean, they there were there was a uh, they they failed redundantly. I mean, there were a number of points that were uh, necessary but uh, insufficient for the government to make, and they didn't accomplish anything. Uh, I mean, they, I mean, for the precedent value of this, it's going to embolden everybody who like Microsoft can afford litigation. Uh, you know, if you're tiny, uh, you can still bully. Uh, the government is going to still be good at bullying tiny private entities uh, simply because of the punishment is the, the, the process is the punishment, the difficulty of litigating. But if you're big enough to litigate away, um, Microsoft um, should feel great about their case, about the decision, not just, yay, we won, yay, make some money, good for us, but in the catharsis of living in a world that's analyzable uh, and that if you listened to the case, it'd be rather traumatizing for the topic of analysis to listen to that case and imagine any decision other than what was given. So it feels like, oh, we can, we can do this thing. Um, and at the same time, I listened to all of the CMA um, the CMA has been a very difficult uh, process historically to appeal. Um, the From the beginning, you and I were saying on this podcast, we think the Amer the U.S. side of the case, we think is a disaster and we think Microsoft would win it. We, If we could only bet on that, we'd love to bet on Microsoft. Love it. Yeah. Our, our one concern was, hey, if the CMA blocks, we don't know how you get around a CMA block. And the CMA, in, if I remember correctly, end of April, did block the deal. And at that, there were rumors that they were going to. And when that happened, you know, I said, I, there's, it's not really, you can't really appeal the decision. Microsoft appealed kind of the process, but you can't really appeal the decision. We just said, this is where deals go to die. And it, it seems like they found ways around that. And listening to, so I listened to every word of the, uh, what, what we would call the appellate uh, court, uh, the tribunal. And it was, <laughs> it might not have been great entertainment for somebody who hadn't been following it all the time. It was, I thought, hilariously funny, unbelievably interesting and high drama. If you're familiar with the case, um, I at this point had just finished an ultra marathon. I was recovering in Lucerne, uh, Switzerland on the banks of uh, Lake Geneva. And I was sitting at a cafe, just like laughing, listening to this because one, the judge was unbelievably pedantic, which is always how judges seem to me in situations where I'm like, Hey, if you want me to rush, I think seconds, if you want me to delay, I think, oh, I should sleep on it, decide tomorrow. I don't know what else there is to think about when you've been, assuming you've spent, you know, months and months and months accumulating data. I don't, I don't know what one does to improve judgment at this point, but government standards are so different in terms of when they talk about, oh, we'll expedite this decision. We'll make it two years from now. I'm like, what, what, that's not what the word expediting means. Um, but in this case, the uh, appellate judge was incredibly pedantic about all of the legal inability of a lower decision to be reversed after it was 
final, which, which in an enforcement mechanism, you can understand. I mean, a cop can't come into a murder trial halfway through and say, hey, I changed my mind. I didn't mean to arrest this guy. You know, you, you do seed your part of the process once it goes beyond you. But it's a little bit absurd substantively when you have a buyer that wants to buy, a seller that wants to sell, a regulator that wants to say, fine, the bankers that want to finance, like there's no substantive. It was just, it was so weird because you had Microsoft would say, hey, we judge, we'd really like you to dismiss the, the trial next week. Right. And then the CMA, you know, Microsoft's the defendant, exactly. the CMA yeah. is the plaintiff. And the CMA would say, judge, we'd really like you to dismiss the trial this week. And Activision, I suppose, the seller would say, yes, we'd really like to get this deal done. And the judge said, whoa, 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 <laughs> everyone here wants to delay, but I, I need to make sure we're, you know, this is the right idea. It's, Though it's, I do understand he was worried about the precedent and the, following the procedures. And it, I, I, but it was just funny to have every side say, we want this and somebody say, Let's let's hold it up a second. It, it's just so foreign to what we do. You know, if we we could argue and disagree substantively for weeks or months, but once we all agree, it's like seconds before we do the thing that we do. There's no like now that we all agree. What now? Like, well, now you do it. And so that was I thought funny, uh, but then uh, it got to the point. And then the high comedy. I mean, this uh, there's a show, Yes Minister, about British bureaucracy, and this could have been an episode from it where. All that had to happen was the CMA to basically pull, like they just had to admit any kind of, oh no, this part of the thing we did was, like the tribunal guy was handing everybody, here's how we get around it. We could do it instantly. I mean, he was just guiding. I mean, he knew there's absolutely no benefit to any delay other than they needed the precedent value of, uh, of handling this the right way. Fine. Um, but it was just comedic in that you had these bureaucrats that the one thing they wouldn't do is like take back the thing they already said, even though they said the thing I already said, which was like decided in partly incorrectly, uh, would not hold up to a subsequent appeal. If we went through this whole totally unnecessary process, it would eventually fail. Okay, we'll take it back. Well, no, we can't take it back. But let me, okay. let me turn. I want to. So. I this month to me there was this n of one thing right there were some yes. things in the market that we've never seen before mm -hmm. I don't know how much we're going to get a dive into them because I, I want to go through a lot of things today but just on aspect sure. there was this really interesting day I think it was July 18th that was the day the merger agreement was going to expire right mm -hmm. and it was a really interesting day because we've never seen a day like that before where it was the last day of the merger contract before you hit the out date. We, and we had this AAA buyer, right? Microsoft is probably the best buyer in the world. There's no financing risk there. Uh, there was only one regulatory body outstanding, the CMA, and the CMA had said they were gonna, they were going to, basically they're gonna prove it at some point. They just need to follow the process. But you had this really interesting day where the market doesn't know what to do, right? You've got this deal where there's only one regulator. The regulator is saying, "Hey, we'd love to approve this deal, but we just need to follow our process." But because the merger contract's about to expire. It, you could have a bump. You could not have a bump. It was just this really strange day. I've talked about it before. I don't quite know how to express it, but I want to ask you one thing on that day. Activision and Microsoft end up extending the deal. In return, they get Activision gets a nice bump in the break fee. They get economic terms if the deal does happen to fall through. And they got to pay a 99 cents per share dividend. And I think a lot of people, maybe me included, thought, hey, Activision kind of had Microsoft up on the ropes after 18 months in this deal and all that they've gone to. I know a lot of ARBs who thought the bump could be, I heard some people thinking it could be up to $20 per share. I know a lot of ARBs who thought, hey, you know, good case, $10, bad case, $5. I, there were some ARBs who were disappointed with the 99 cent bump. 
Uh, Activision's CEO actually got interviewed by David Faber and he said, hey, look, 99% of our shareholders voted to approve this deal. We're at the one yard line. We wanted to get over. What do you think about the, the bump or lack of real meaningful bump here? It was disappointing. It underrated the improvement in value of Activision. It underrated how much Activision should have wanted Microsoft to simply close. So if you if you if you uh, were to spread the different kind of maximum pain points to the different sides, the bump should have been much bigger. The game theory, though, was that in a all cash deal you and I were about to become the likelihood that we would become medium or long-term shareholders of the people making the decisions was going to zero. The likelihood that uh, Satya and others were going to become the bosses of the people who were making the decision on the activism side or uh, or many of the top uh, Activision people was about to become 100%. And so I think that there was a massive agency problem where the colleagues were talking to, uh, in a situation where it was 55%, we're talking with the management and the board as people with a 45% chance we're going to be around here in a few months. And the other side is truly a separate entity. Well, at this point, I think the likelihood that they successfully merge within the next 60 days is so high that they're basically all at the same side of the table. They're just a bunch of incredibly, uh, I found them in this process. I'll give you my description of them, incredibly smart and clearly very highly compensated people talking about this thing we're going to have together that we at the individual level are going to make out like bandits from. And we can't totally screw over these shareholders, but they're going to be people you can forget about come 30 or 60 days from now. So I think the agency problem on the Activision side was was severe and disappointing, but uh, really played into uh, how clubby these two sides yeah. are because of the likelihood of success at this point. I, I'm with you because you've got a board. I mean, look, when when you've got a board that thinks a deal is done and they will not be around anymore and a management sure. team that's about to go under, as you said, the, the buyer, right? The shareholders voted to approve this deal unless you do something like there's no recourse, right? They can extend the contract and shareholders have no recourse at this point. If you and I had bought 99% of the shares and we called the board up and said, hey, we are not in favor. Uh, we we think you need to get a $7 bump and we anything less than that we think is terrible. They could have said, hey, go to hell. Like, you, mm-hmm. you know, it, it really doesn't matter. They, I, I'm with you. I think tactically they, they could have gotten more. I do understand it is easy for us sitting here to say that. And it's like, hey, are you really going to let a 50 billion plus dollar deal if your management team collapse when like you've got all these employees, you've got all this training, like, are you going to let it collapse over a dollar or not bump when it's going to close in 30 days? I get it, but I'm with you. I mean, okay, I mean speaking the, of one, of one, the, oh, one of the things that I do and say both because it's sincere and it's an elicitation technique in terms of research is uh, communicate broadly with senior people on the buyer side about the individuals on the seller side who I've had a lot of experiences with leading up to the deal. Uh, and I really do try to advocate for the people who have been particularly good. Uh, I do that just to do it. I, if I, I try to compliment people who, if they were as bad as they were good, I would have complained about. And uh, in this case, as an elicitation technique, uh, you know, when you do that in a rocky deal, sometimes you're like, whoa, we don't know if it's going to get done. In this case, there were people I would say, uh, accepting congratulations for this deal having been successful and looking on to the next step. So they are literally thinking about personnel decisions and those personnel are literally thinking about like which office they're going to get. Like they're kind of 
moving on from how this affects shareholders and the deal to uh, uh, fully expecting this to close. And, and Satya, I have to say, even before trial was sounding either delusional or justifiably confident in, you know, he's a careful guy. He's a smart guy and he's happy to say when he's not sure about something, but he thought this whole thing was going to work. And it seems to be justified at this point. So let me go to a different end of one. Uh, sure. I, I think the most interesting thing that happened in kind of event markets this month is the Simo Max Linear deal. Now yes. I've done, I did a podcast on this with my friend Mordecai back in December. I think it was December. People can go listen to that podcast if they want a little background. I think Mordecai and I are going to do another like focused podcast on it in the next week or two because it is a really interesting situation. But it is right up yours guys alley. So I, mm -hmm. I, I want to talk about it. And I'll, I'll lay the background and I'll let you give some thoughts. Simo and Max Lear have been in a deal for probably 18 months now to get acquired. Simo, you know, the, the deal consideration was over $100 per share. Uh, most of it in cash, Simo stock was trading around $50 per share coming into the month. So that tells you, hey, the market was very skeptical that they were going to get approval. Uh, a week or two ago, the, the one hold up here is the Chinese SAMR has not approved the deal. A week or two ago, Chinese SAMR out of nowhere comes out and says, hey, we're approving the deal. You're good to go. Uh, Simo stock pops from $50 per share to $90 per share as people say, oh my God, this deal is going to close. That very day, Max Lear comes out in the afternoon and files an 8K and says, oh, actually, Simo, we think you've had a material adverse effect. We're breaking the merger. Because you had a material adverse effect, we're not going to pay the merger termination. And Simo stock goes from $90 per share to today, it's kind of at $60 per share. Simo has come out and said, we don't think there's an MAE. We think uh, we think the contract's still on, and we're going to sue to do that, sue to keep it on, basically. And, and now that kind of brings us up to today. The reason I say it's in our wheelhouse is because anybody, who, when we hear ME, you and I say, "Oh, Twitter, this is great." Uh, I, I want to turn it over to you there. So you know, I, that's kind of the overview. What do you think is going on with Simo and Max Lanier? That was a wild day. Um, I was uh, neither a, a hero nor villain that day. I'm sure the heroes, if anybody who kind of got it right in both directions, will mention it. And I'm sure the villains, if you got it wrong in both directions, will keep quiet about it. But, I, I know uh, people who were long going in it. Samir approval came out and they sold that day and they okay. had a massive return. And I know people who Samir approval came out and the stock traded 90. They said, this is over $100 per share. This is done. Like we're, we're going to close in a week. And they they were very sad when the uh, max plenary. So I know both sides of it. But um, so uh, here we go. Um, this deal as cut now has all the regulatory approvals they need. Um, very much unlike the Microsoft situation where you have this huge mismatch in market cap, the whole topic of being uh, the, the similarity in market caps, I mean, we, we have very much on the table the topic of what the buyer can pay, right? It's not simply agreeing, right? If Microsoft wants to close Activision, the the correlation of closing Activision, I think is literally 100% at this point. Like, I, I don't think they're going to lose. Um, the, if, if, if you know what the CEO of the buyer wants, which I think we all do. I think that that's almost all you need to know. That is not the case here. So, um, so I, I would start by saying, there's a brainer in terms of what you're fighting for now financially, right? Uh, the deal requires financing. The financing doesn't have that much time before it expires. The buyer in this case has a lot of limitations and constraints around financing, around the size of the deal for them. So triangulating what they want is not dispositive of what's going to happen here. There's a lot of constraints. It's a brainer. Um, I would uh, say that 
the part of this so far, let me just offer uh, the easiest piece. Um, I have a view that the target has neither violated a material adverse effect, which if you want a way to judge this, hey, Penny, uh, in uh, two seconds, uh, the first thing you glance at is you go to the MAE and you look at the just size of the, the carve-outs and the specificity and length of the carve-outs, um, which is the uh, the good thing for deal confidence. And it is very, very hard to claim a material adverse effect that doesn't trigger a carve-out in this case. Um, uh, there's nothing specific, and a lot of the generalities are going to be hard in court to prove. Um, and it appears to me that they've lived up to their duties. So separate from can't be material adverse effect, and you have to have done the things you're supposed to do for a definitive merger agreement to be in effect. Um, uh, now, they have access to non-public information that I lack, but based on public information, my view is they've lived up to their duties. There hasn't been a material adverse effect. This DMA is in effect now. Then there's the practical concern of being in effect long enough for the financing to uh, be triggered. Uh, from the buyer's side, the fact that I could quibble over whether they queered the deal in some way that interferes with the financing, that's a contractual point, but if the financing disappears, if the money's not there, you can't be forced to do something that's impossible. Um, and so I think that there is a good case here in a very messy situation. So like if you said even just approximately 100 up, 50 down, and we can you do different things. Like if you're talking about like 70, 80, 90, like I have no confidence that it equates to that. But between 50 and $60, where you say, hey, a messy, weird, zany situation that maybe nobody expected to be in exactly this one, it's very interesting to me because maybe that this something gets put together, either this deal or you have enough influence with a strong legal case to go to the buyer and say, hey, let's work together and splitting the difference, you know, changing something from more cash to more equity. Can we scramble together by the time the financing is up? Can we threaten the, can we work together to threaten the banks to say, yeah, we're going to close, give me the financing, and then use that leverage to say, let's have a kind of a comprehensive split the difference with everybody kind of rational outcome uh, uh, between them. So I think the legal case in Delaware is good. I think the dynamics are complicated and there's a lot of ways to put something together that makes sense for everybody. D dynamics favor putting something back together here. Um, yeah. uh, so, I, I'm sorry to the listeners for the, the recording troubles, but no, I, I, everything you're saying, I completely agree. You know, to me, if you look when Max Lanier and Simo announced this deal, they were valuing Simo at $4 billion. The combined market caps of the companies right now, the combined enterprise value is about $4 billion. Simo's shareholders were going to get $3.1 billion of cash. Max Linear's enterprise value is under $2.5 billion. So you start looking at that and you say, like, look, Wells Fargo, I heard they were, Wells Fargo was the loan provider. I heard they were probably going to take a billion dollar bath on a $3 billion loan. You know, like you look at that and you say, from the buyer side, yeah, you'd love to get out of that deal. Some, when Chinese regulatory said this is approved, everyone's probably crying in that room. It does remind me a lot of Twitter in that way, where you have a buyer who, they have buyer's remorse. They really want to get out of this deal. They're hoping regulatory bails them out. And in this case, it didn't. So they sue and claim MAE. As you said, we we only have public information, not non-public, but it seems like it's really going to be tough. Where this becomes an end of when, and hopefully we can talk about this, hopefully my internet comes uh, sustains this. This is not a Delaware company. Material adverse effect, the merger contract specifically says 
and MAE will be defined by Delaware, but everything else is Singapore. And the reason it's so interesting to me is I talked to a lot of ARBs the day this broke, and I did not talk to a single ARB who was like, Singapore, uh, Singapore contract law. I'm really ready to go. I'm really brushed up on that. I'm really ready to say how this is going to go. So that's why it's so interesting to me. What have you learned so far? And how are you thinking like this Singapore process is going to play out? I'm going to be smarter on this next time we speak. I actually had double booked with a uh, really top uh, lawyer on this topic for this podcast. And so that's my uh, project for this afternoon. Um, uh, so I, I'm still at the Delaware issues look good and uh, TBD on the uh, Singapore aspect of this, which is the big one, right? That's the one. And uh, that's the one where it'll be very, very hard based on what I know now to run this through to the end. Um, but uh, it looks cheap enough here that we can uh, uh, have a noisy, chaotic uh, position in our portfolio. Uh, if, we're, we're if I can ramble and please tell me if you agree, disagree with anything where I've come out on it so far. And again, people should remember I was in Europe last week. Like I was trying to work, but it was very hard. So I'm with you. Hopefully next month we'll know more, but where I've come out so far is this will be in Singapore. I believe it's Singapore arbitration, which I think is a three judge panel is the arbitration could be wrong on all that. We'll, we'll know more next week. Uh, where I've come out is I think CMO has a very good case, but if you want to own the stock here, I think you have to have some sort of fundamental view because you know, I think the case takes a really long time. I believe arbitration takes at best 18 months. So you're mm -hmm. looking at a really long time frame. And again, Max Lanier, if they lose this case, there's a chance because the financing will have broke. There's a chance they're filing and CMO is becoming a huge unsecured creditor of Max yeah. Lanier, right? So I think you have to have at least some type of view, not that you think, you know, Simon's trading at 60 and you think fundamentally it's worth hundred, but you can't think Simon's trading at 60 and it's worth 20. You have to have some sort of right. view. And then I kind of think the most likely scenario here is you do a massive, everybody sits down at an arbitration table and you do a massive recut of the deal mm -hmm. where, you know, Simon was going to get $90 per share in cash and or 98, I think it was in some equity. You change it. So Simon's basically buying Max Lanier on the cheap, maybe getting to, I think that's how it plays out, but yeah. it's very, it's very tough to know. But I, look again, if it's an end of one situation, this is the, maybe the most unique merger situation we've ever seen. MAE claims, Singapore court, Delaware MAE, you've got to at least pay attention because N of ones tend to be where alpha can hide for people who are willing to do the work. That's my opinion. Please tell me if I'm wrong, agreed, anything. No, that's right. If you start at the end and work back, it'll be Simo gets some amount of value that is, you know, call it 75 bucks, 80 bucks of largely uh, uh, equity, max linear. They get as much financing as they can uh, for cash. And then the rest is equity no bankruptcy and expedited as much as possible. You know, just say, hey, the more reasonable everybody wants to be, the more people want to split the difference, the faster we can be and the less um, of the negative externalities of a lengthy process. Um, I'm winging it still on Singapore, uh, but um, it is it's one of my favorite countries in the world. It tends to have one of the most rational sets of uh, uh, both uh, public policy generally and the court system is uh, I think it's sensationally good. Um, I, uh, uh, I, I, I have long admired the country and uh, found a huge uh, well of kind of reasonableness and rationality, if harshness, right? It's kind of a, uh, a benign uh, despotism in some ways, but heavy on the benign, you know? Uh, 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 and um, uh, so I... Uh, have a subjective 
sense that when we have a serious conclusion, and 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 I think tomorrow I'll know a lot more than today, um, it'll be one that says, "Oh no, this is this is something we can underwrite in terms of their um, uh, handling the situation." Let me flip to look. I I think we'll be talking more about SEMA next month, assuming sure. that it's not settled or something. I, I I'm completely with you. Look, we we're we do a July set of the month. It's July 31st. It, this is the most unique situation we've seen in the markets in a long time. So I, I'm completely with you. I want to uh, hopefully do a lot more and talk more about this next month. Let me just quickly tick over to, uh, we got lots of questions online. I, I sure. unfortunately can't address all of them, but there's uh, several people asked about Liquidia, which I did a podcast with Lionel Hutz on. It might be time to have him on again because the stock's been volatile, even though we we haven't got crazy amounts of news there. We just But I just want to toss it over to you. Liquidia, any new or interesting thoughts there? With the difficulties in a merger arb on the regulatory front and deal financing front, I've just thrown myself into a number of litigation situations that I really just think are better than a lot of the arb opportunities. Really, with the, I mean, ATVI is kind of one off, but uh, I don't have a diversified basket of merger arbs that I love. I kind of like waiting until the government sues them uh, at this point um, uh, because they're bringing so many zany cases. Uh, liquidity is liquidity is towards the top of the uh, legal cases that I like. Uh, Lionel Hutz has just been terrific on this. He's been kind of the ax on the name, um, but I love it. There is um, There are a number of routes to getting to the market. It's a huge market. The market caps half a billion dollars and they could be the better product in a multi-billion dollar market. Um, they need to get to market. Uh, United uh, Therapeutics has just put up every conceivable i i mean legal uh delay possible um and uh you know with a stock under eight bucks you know it could be a i don't know it's very hard to value the upside here but double or triple within a year uh, if they can get this thing to the market the company has always been cautious about timeline like they have very overtly said this would be 2024 Four, I think that's right. And I think my confidence is extremely high. That's right. Both me and the market got a little hot and bothered over the prospect that, oh, maybe it's better than anything they're saying or expecting. Maybe some of the legal possibilities that were when we bought this, like 5% chance, 2% chance, very unlikely. It looked like, oh, maybe maybe there's other ways they could get around it. Um, those aren't going to happen, right? There's no, like, I don't think we're going to get a lot of um, uh, uh, finality here this year, but you know we're going into something that um, they could get to the market next year, and this could be fantastically valuable. So, um, yeah, no, I think it's a good situation, and we've kind of gotten past the last. I mean, ironically, potential upside, the potential upside that is at least somewhat baked into the market, so you get hit on days that they uh, don't uh, uh, win fast. No, I, I completely agree. You know, to me. Uh... I, I've always, I think this came out in the podcast I did with Lionel, but it's, I, I've, I've loved the case. I just, I've always loved the case. I am disappointed that the judge didn't rule in their favor because that, yeah. that would have been great. They would have been, you know, the question is really just one of upside. And I know people who think this multi, multi bagger potential, huge market, superior product, you know, it, it's really just one of, I think they're 95% to win the the PTAB case. You know, they just have to have the PTAB ruling affirmed. I think it's 90, 95%. Precedent suggests that's the case. My reading suggests that smarter people than me's case uh, have suggested that. 
but we, we've got to get there and then it'll just be a question of what the upside is. Last one and then we'll, we'll kind of call it. Oh, let, me, let me throw out one little, yeah. um, there's some circumstantial evidence over the last month or two that the company thinks they're going to win and need to be prepped for in terms of hiring and so forth. Like yep. they're very much getting ready to get to market if no. they get this uh, case. I, I mean, the company, not that it's worthless if this, if this doesn't, if they don't win, but it, it's, you know, it, it's approaching that, like, what are they going to do say, Hey, we think we have a bad case. And if we, if we're not going to hire, but, and then be in a place where if they win, they're completely unprepared, you know, it, it is kind of one of those, you have to hire no matter what, but I agree with you. It seems like they're very confident on it. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Are traditional expert calls in the investment world becoming obsolete? According to Stream, they are, and you can access primary research easily and efficiently through their platform. With Stream, you'll have the right insights at your fingertips to make the best investment decisions. They offer a vast library of over 26,000 expert transcripts powered by AI search technology. Plus, they provide competitive rates on expert call services, and you can even have an experienced buy-side analyst conduct the calls for you. But that's not all. Stream also provides the ability to engage with experts one-on-one and get your calls transcribed free of charge all for 40% less than you would pay for 20 calls in a traditional expert network model. So if you're looking to optimize your research process and increase ROI on investment research spend, Stream has the solution for you. Head over to their website at streamrg.com to learn more. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Let me turn real quickly, Burford. I know that's been a big area of interest. Again, I've done, my my friend Arden Fokin has come in the podcast at three three times to talk about Burford, but they, they had their... The long-awaited trial against Argentina was last week, three-day trial. I, I think, again, I was in Europe, but I think you were paying closer attention to it than me. It, the Burford's already won, right? The judge has already said, Burford, you win. Argentina owes you guys payments for YPF. The question is now the quantum of payments and the interest uh, rate of payments. It was a pretty interesting trial. I read a lot of the, the transcripts and everything, but what did you think about the Burford trial? I try to listen to everything, and boy, was this one to read the transcript for. It was combining incredibly difficult accents with bad microphones. And so I was listening the whole time to people I could barely understand anyways with their mics going in and out. Um, But I think it was, I think the whole range of options here are somewhere between good to great for us as Burford Longs. Um, I would say that the the case the company made uh, or or the plaintiff made uh, seems to me to be legally right and that the uh, very good lawyers representing uh, Argentina were kind of throwing up uh, 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 kind of dust into the gears in ways that I thought didn't look winning. I don't know this judge well enough to say, but like they very much wanted to make a point of how much money we would make if we won. And isn't it kind of subjectively too much of a return for Burford, right? They they very they explicitly said, you know, they bought into it like this. This is a bunch of, uh, you know, kind of, Ringo hedge fund managers and shouldn't they make somewhat less money than they make de- depending on how this I, yeah. they, that's they definitely said that i mean they specifically said I, I believe at one point they even said hey every dollar you award burford is a dollar that can't go to like argentina pensioners or right. to build like schools and get water to our, our children and they said argentina isn't a rich country yep. and i completely get that right I, i'm not here for pillaging countries but at the same time you're going to a judge and saying hey forget the law forget what we forget everything legal, forget what's right. Just look at this and say, do you want to give rich people money because they legally deserve it? Or should you let us, we promise like, yes, we've got a history of looting and pillaging and taking money, but we promise we're going to use it this time. It, it was a very strange argument to me. 
I, I am here for pillaging countries that uh, nationalize property that's not theirs, where you know, there is an explicit contractual way for compensating the owners. Um, I'm with you, though. I, if I can just go on a quick tip, every now and then I'll see like a politician running and then somebody will take a clip from something he said on a podcast like six years ago and show the clip and they'll be like, this man. And every time I see that, I'll be like, man, if Chris and I ever run for office, they're going to be able to pull something out of here. And they'll be like, I'm sure at one point you and I were like joking and said, Pro cancer, and they're gonna be like, these two are pro cancer. You can't vote for these people, and then they'll have the the great clip of Chris. I am for pillaging and looting. Like it's gonna be so bad, <laughs> so bad. Um, but uh, Argentina is such an interesting country. It breaks investors' hearts every. I mean, the number of times that they've screwed over uh, equity holders, even more so credit holders. I mean, it's just it's 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 amazing. They always seem like they're on the cusp of rule of law, law and order, first world, uh, due process. I mean, they always seem like they're almost there. And then they just, it's a rug pull every few years. They do seem like they're on the up and up uh, in terms of trying to be more shareholder friendly, uh, more investor friendly. I mean, they need uh, a foreign investment to thrive as much as they'd like to, but it's, 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 it's always, it's an endlessly enticing country to invest in and it's been repeated a heartache. Um, but, uh, and, and then there's this problem of who settles with us versus kicks the can down the road for their successors, right? So that's always an interesting one looking at the game theory here. But in any event, I thought the case went well. I struggled to follow a lot of the minutia on it just because it was, it was a hard recording. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think we'll, um, we have, it'll be good or great and probably great. Agreed. And, you know, that's a people can refer to the podcast. I, I think once we have a ruling, Artem's probably going to come back on and we'll update it. But it's a really interesting one because, yeah, look, the stocks run a lot since they got the Argentina ruling. But if th that core business, you know, I do think the YPF case has proved out a lot about the core business and its kind of VC potential returns. And if you look at the returns on capital and how the, you know, there's a, a huge rest of the book there. It, you could argue today's share price values the Argentina case at nothing. And they are, it seems they're going to win a lot of money there. There's the the question of collectability and all that, that still remains there. But I promise you, if you're Burford's management and you're running a two or $3 billion company and you've got a potential $5 billion legal claim and you've got a whole division that does asset recovery, I promise you they've been thinking about how to recover and they've probably got a pretty good idea, a little bit better than you and I, but really interesting. Absolutely. Chris, I know you have an 11 o'clock uh, uh, We, I'm sorry to everyone for the technical issues. I think they were all on my end. Anything you want to leave us with before we wrap this up? I have nothing to add. Great. Uh, well, look, I'm looking forward to, I'll talk to you before then, but I'm looking forward to our August State of the Markets. Again, apologize to everyone for the technical difficulties, but we will talk to everyone then. Very good. Thanks, Andrew. A quick disclaimer, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. Guests or the hosts may have positions in any of the stocks mentioned during this podcast. Please do your own work and consult a financial advisor. Thanks.